series called Mind Games. And Paul didn't, yeah, come on. Paul did not ask me to give a big shout out for his book, but I asked him, I said, hey, Paul, I need the microphone this weekend because I need to share my excitement for this book coming out this week called Mind Games. You know, he mentioned it that here is the only place in our lobby that you can buy the book before anyone else. Actually, we just got our first hard copy this week, but not until January 9th is it available in all the places that sell books, you can get a copy, as well as, who's my Audible fans? Who likes to listen? Okay, it's coming out on Audible January 9th as well. So those are places that you can get the book, but or we have a limited copies that we ask from the publisher that we could sell in the church lobby or here at the bookstore. So make sure you stop there and get that. But you know, I... I love the church, capital C, 100%. But I will share that there have been seasons of the church that we have shied away from topics like mental health. And so what has that made other people feel like? Well, if I deal with depression or if I have suicidal thoughts or if I have this spirit of sadness that I'm abnormal. But you know what, I'm thankful that we have a pastor that's not afraid to talk about those emotions, right? We love joy, we love peace. But that's not very vulnerable to talk about joy and peace. It's vulnerable, it's next level when you share your heart about some tough things that you've walked through. And I'm thankful we come to victory for a number of different reasons. But I know one of the reasons why you come to this church and call this place home, or maybe it's some of, it's, it's some of your first time, but you know if you listen to any of Paul's sermons that he's not afraid to share his story. He's not afraid to share the story of what it was like when he stepped in to lead the church, when he lost his dad, when there's different things that he's walked through. And yes, we've heard it in his sermons and he unpacks it even in a deeper way in his Book. I'm just so thankful that he highlights, and I'm thankful, honestly, that the church locally and globally have really been more bold. There's a lot of people that have been more bold with those topics. Those topics are real, but so is victory, and so is freedom. And so I encourage you to pick up a copy because you need this book or maybe you know someone else that needs this book. I am thankful for the mental health institutions that are here in Tulsa and all around the world. I'm thankful for counselors. I'm thankful for godly therapists that help people all around the world navigate emotional health and mental health. In fact, if you serve or you work in any of those facilities or in that area of profession, can you raise your hand? I wanna honor you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
God promises us a sound mind. And as much as we believe in prayer and confession and worship, there's some practical tools. And a lot of times we need those counselors and those therapists to help us verbally vomit all those things that we're thinking and walking through so you can help us navigate those different things. And Paul does that in his book. He unpacks that. So I encourage you to get your copy today. I mean, how appropriate is it to release a book at the beginning of the year when health is on our brain? If it's not on your brain, you should get it on your brain. Because as in, in 2024, we need to be more physically strong, more emotionally strong, more mentally strong. And I know that Mind Games is definitely going to help us do that. So again, he didn't, he didn't ask, he didn't say, hey, Ashley, can you do me a big one? Can you share something about my book? I said, Paul, let me tell our church. Because church, aren't we excited for this message that is going around the world and his stories so vulnerable. So thank you, Paul, for saying yes. Thank you for sharing your heart and being vulnerable. I know it's a very vulnerable thing to put your words and your stories out into the world because we all have things that we're walking through and how we step up and face those big goals. And so I want to pray. I want to pray for the message on the inside of Mind Games. Lord, I thank you for this book that's being released this week. God, I thank you for the words that are in the book. I pray that it produces a harvest of sound minds and transformed lives. God, this is not about Paul's name, God. This is about your name. This is about your name being lifted high. And that all around the world, that people know that you are the answer. You are the answer. I thank you that the stories and the vulnerability of the book, God, will cause people to share their stories of brokenness and sadness, God, so that they can truly find healing in their mind and their emotions. God, help us not just be spiritually strong, but help us be emotionally strong. Help us be mentally strong as we step into 2024. God, I thank you that, that this book is like seed, the words are like seeds being scattered all around the world. God, we choose to trust you. God, this is all about you, and we put it back in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, babe. Give Pastor Ashley a big hand. I'm so thankful for her. We want to welcome our online campus, our North Campus, and this year is the seven-year anniversary for Victory Manford. So we celebrate Victory Manford, seven years going strong, reaching all the people out there in Manford. If you got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Yeah, we get excited for the Word of God. I want to title this message, if you're taking notes, note takers are history makers, world changers. I want to title the message, Victory Starts in the Mind. Victory, the name of this church and the life God wants you and I to live, a life of victory, starts where? In the mind. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, how? The renewing of your mind. And I want to talk about that today. You know, Ashley mentioned my personal story, my battle, and I remember back in the winter of 2012, I was in a very discouraged place, mentally, emotionally, and I was serving in our college ministry. I was assisting my mom with Saturday night services. She had 
stepped in as the interim pastor after my father passed away. My mom is a hero to me in our family. She is the definition of perseverance and really victory. And uh, she led our church during a very difficult season. During that five year season, she was grieving the loss of her husband. Our church was grieving the loss of our pastor and I was grieving the loss of my dad. And I remember during that time just feeling really discouraged, feeling overwhelmed by life. You know, people had started leaving our church during that time. And I remember just thinking, I wish I could leave, but I can't because I got to work here and I got to serve here. And I wanted to get away from all my problems. I wanted to escape all the pain and the loss and the grief and the depression. There was days where I didn't want to get out of bed and there were nights where I just felt like, things were only gonna get worse. And I started speaking this confession. Man, our best days are behind us. The confession we said earlier, 10 minutes ago in service, was written during a very depressing time in my life. It was not written during a time where everything was great. And it started by God really convicting me, saying, you gotta change the narrative of what you've been speaking over your life and over your future. And before victory came into my mouth, it had to come into my mind. And I remember one night, the winter of 2012, going into 2013, I was walking down the street by myself, which is not a good thing to do when you're dealing with discouragement, depression. Uh, the enemy tries to isolate us when we're in those times. But I remember coming to this overpass, this highway overpass. It's about 30 to 40 feet high above the ground. And I could hear the enemy laughing at me. Like it was just like, not audibly, but in my head, it was like I could feel just this demonic, oppression, just saying you're worthless, you're better off just ending it, it'll be just end your misery, it'll be better for you and others, and I could hear the enemy just telling me to throw it all away. And I was watching as cars were driving underneath this overpass, it was probably 11.30 at night, and I remember just thinking, if I jumped, I probably wouldn't die, but maybe if I timed it right, I would with the cars coming and the semi-trucks. And the enemy was just laughing at me. And I remember thinking in that time, who can I call? Like what pastor has been talking about mental health and emotional health and overcoming thoughts of suicide and panic and anxiety and, and depression? And during that time, like Ashley said, it wasn't a common message in the church. I remember in the year 2016, seeing headline news stories about pastors who had taken their lives because of depression. And I just thought, man, this message is so needed in the church because it's not just pastors and leaders, it's everybody is facing all kinds of different mind games and emotional games. But that night I was there and I didn't know who to call. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't have a mentor that I could just say, hey, I'm in this place. Have you ever faced this? I probably did, but I just didn't call them. And because of fear, fear of what they might think or say, or fear that maybe it would make me even more unqualified to be serving in the ministry. And I remember standing there, but it, it was interesting. Hebrews 12 verses one says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I felt like there was a cloud of witnesses above my head that were speaking into my life. 
You know, I think about that cloud. And up in that cloud of witnesses, I believe, is Billy Joe Doherty, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, Lester Sumrall, Smith Wigglesworth. I believe up in that cloud is Peter and James and John. And, 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 and we could go down the list of all the characters, Gideon and Samson and, and David and Ruth and Boaz and Rahab and Joshua and Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But when I say all those names, you go, who are those people? And some of us in the room, we go, oh, those are the Bible characters. We forget that all those Bible characters faced mental and emotional struggles. They all had to overcome. Moses had deep insecurity. Gideon had deep feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness. I'm the weakest. I'm the worst. David oftentimes battled depression. Why is my soul downcast? Right? All these characters in the Bible faced these issues. And it's almost like I could hear them up in heaven that night when I was standing on that bridge saying, Paul, don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. You've got a destiny. You have a calling on your life. Your life is valuable. Don't you throw it away. Things are going to get better. Don't let this darkness convince you that there's not light at the end of the tunnel. But I remember just hearing those voices and hearing the voice of the enemy. You know, the Bible says that we're at war. Everybody say we're at war. The devil is an adversary. He is after you. And he studies you. He studies your thoughts. He studies your habits. He studies your patterns. So when you start a new year and you've got all these goals, the enemy is working overtime to get in your mind first. Because if he can get in your mind, transformation starts in the mind, right? Change starts in the mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. As a woman think, if I think defeated, I live defeated. If I think victorious, I live victorious. If I think I'm more than a conqueror, I start living like I'm more. But if I think things are gonna get worse and the best days are behind me and God's finished with our family and God can't change this situation, if I convince myself in my head things aren't gonna get better, then I start making actions on the outside that align with those thoughts. Our thoughts drive our behavior. Our thoughts drive the direction of our life. And I could hear the, the cloud of witnesses cheering me on. And a scripture came to my mind that my parents taught me when I was little. The Bible says, train a child up in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it as they get older. And I remember this scripture started bubbling deep down inside me. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I was crying that night because that scripture was this conviction. It was like this holding it was like the angels were holding me away from that edge of that overpass saying, you will live, Paul. You will live, Paul. You will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I spoke in the darkness, Satan, I rebuke you. I choose to live. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I choose to live. I choose to live. I choose to live. And that night began a process that I began to walk out. Like Ashley said, there was all kinds of different tools that I used, thankfully, tapping into different people that ministered to me, counselors and community and the word of God and meditating on the word of God. God told Joshua, meditate on my word day and night and you will be successful if you follow these words, if you meditate on these words. There is scriptural teaching on how to get victory over depression, over anxiety, over panic attacks, over all the different bad habits that are in your life, all the goals that you want to accomplish this year. It's going to start in the mind. Everybody say victory starts in the mind. 
All right, so let's talk about it. Israel, thank you so much. Let's give the worship team a big hand. We're going to worship again at the end. But I want to talk to you about how to get victory in your mind, where it all begins. I remember hearing this story about a man who was working at a railroad company, and he was stacking boxes inside of containers on the railroad cart. And when he was going in one of the refrigerated carts, he was setting boxes up when all of a sudden the door shut behind him and he was locked inside. He was trapped inside a refrigerated cart. He began banging on the door. He's trying to get out. He can't get out. He starts shouting, somebody help me. Somebody get me out of here. And everybody was not anywhere near that container. He was all by himself. And then he starts looking at his watch and it's getting close to 5 p.m. And he knows everybody goes home at 5. And he thought, I'm going to be stuck in this refrigerated cart until tomorrow when people come back to work And then he started convincing himself. He said, I'm gonna die in here. I'm gonna freeze to death. He started feeling these just feelings of deep, like I am freezing. It's cold in this refrigerated cart. He sat down in that cart and he began to write. True story, he began to write on a cardboard box, his death note, his will to his family. And he began to write, his name was Nick. He said, dear family, I love you so much. He shared what happened. And he said, you know, I wish you the best. I'm so sorry that my life ended like this. Love, Nick. The next day, they found Nick's body in the container. He was dead. But the interesting thing was the the temperature in that refrigerated cart was 69 degrees. Now, you and I, most of us sleep in our houses at 69. By the way, what what temperature do y'all sleep at night? 64. That's what I, come on. I'm trying to get Ashley to come down to 67. See, she likes it at 72. But listen, the point is, the point is, That temperature should not have done anything to that man. He had enough oxygen to keep living. Scientists studied this situation and they they came to the conclusion that he died by his thoughts. Death by thoughts. That he didn't die because he actually froze physically. He didn't freeze physically. His body wasn't frozen. He died because he convinced himself. Scientists have said that when people make a decision to jump, off of a large, tall building, many people die from the panic before they hit the ground. That that thoughts actually have the potential to kill us. As a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, the mind is the most powerful place in our body for us to begin to walk in victory. This is why Paul said, if you're gonna have change in your life, if you're gonna walk in the path that God has for you, it's gonna start by renewing the mind. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart. That's the inside you. Guard your soul. Guard everything on the inside above all else, right? He didn't say put this third on the list, fourth on the list, start with your mouth, start with your eyes, start with your ears. No, no, he said start with your heart. Because on the inside, this is where the thoughts, the emotions drive the behavior of your life. Every good thing you see out here started in here. The room you're sitting in started as a thought in my dad's mind before it was ever drawn out by an architect. I remember coming to this field many times. I played soccer where you're sitting, right? In 1991, our our church finished the school building right over here. I remember wearing a hard hat as a kid uh, with my dad, and, and he brought all of his kids out there when we were completing the school building, And then this was a huge field. It was a soccer field that used to get flooded anytime it rained. 
And I remember playing club soccer with TSC, and I wasn't that good. I don't know how I got on the club team. I sat on the bench most of the time. But I remember we would practice out on this field, and it would rain, and there was puddles here. And I remember our dad, he used to ask us kids when we were younger, what do you see? What do you see? Before the Tulsa Dream Center was built, going out to that field in North Tulsa, what do you see? And oftentimes I would say, I see puddles of rain. I see trash. I see brown grass. I see ants. I don't see much, Dad. And he'd say, no, no, not what do you see out here. What do you see in here? And I was like, okay, Mr. Miyagi, Yoda, tell me what you see because I don't, I'm not following you. And he would say, I see a church for the unchurched. I see revival. I see altars packed with prodigal sons and prodigal daughters coming back home. I see marriages getting healed and restored. I see families being reconciled. I see drug addicts getting set free. I see the prostitutes coming and finding hope and life and forgiveness. I see the sinners coming back home to God. And he saw a vision in North Tulsa. I said, I see a, a dream center that's going to help eradicate poverty and change the community. And everything he saw back then. He didn't see out here. He saw it in here. Victory starts on the inside. Can I keep going? Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The book Mind Games is, yes, it focuses on mental health, but more importantly, it focuses on having victory on the inside. Because if you can get victory on the inside, if you can begin to see what God sees, if you begin to understand what God spoke in his word thousands of years ago, you can begin to walk out your best days yet. But it starts in here. I had to make a decision in the middle of a dark night, standing on a bridge, that I was gonna start walking out my best days yet. I didn't see my best days in the natural. I felt discouraged, I felt overwhelmed. But as I began to renew my mind, as I began to focus on God's word, as I began to get my mind in alignment with what God said, as I began to fight the games that the enemy had been winning on the inside, I wonder what mind games the enemy has been messing with some of you here today with. And I just wanna give a couple today. I think sometimes the enemy gets us in a mind game of constant sadness, just feeling sad. I'm just really, really sad. This last week was our oldest son's birthday. He turned 10 and we took him to an arcade place and we were playing games and we got to this one game. It's the claw game. The claw game is rigged, by the way. You put coins in there and then you move this little joystick to get the claw to go and grab you a stuffed animal or a ball. And I'm telling you, they are stealing money from parents. But we were playing this game and Liam does this thing and the claw moves and it's counting down, 25, 24, 23. He's got 20, 20 seconds left. And I'm like, Liam, Liam, you gotta, you gotta get a position. He's like, it's shaking, it's shaking. I said, okay, just let it hold steady. Now drop it, because he was like, you get over there and just get the right angle so we get this stuffed animal for one of his siblings. And so uh, we finally get it and the thing comes down and it grabs that thing and it lifts it up and I'm like, we're gonna win! And then when it gets up here, it starts shaking again. And I'm like, no, no, this thing. And right as it's about to drop it in the place where we're gonna win this stuffed animal, it shakes it and goes and just throws it back into the pile. And I was like, we are talking to the manager right now. <laughs> Have you ever felt like the games you play sometimes are rigged against you? 
And in some cases, I think we can feel this way with the enemy that the devil has rigged the game. And you're like, man, I, I try to be happy every day. I try to say this is the day the Lord has made. I read my Bible, I pray, I, I tithe, I fast, but I still feel like I'm losing this game against this bad habit I've been trying to break for years, Paul. I keep feeling like I'm losing and not getting angry at people and yelling and, and cussing. And I, I keep losing this game of feeling uncontrollable grief. It's like I, I can't let go of the pain of the past. And maybe you feel like the game has been rigged when it comes to shame. And you feel like you've been forgiven, but you don't know how to walk that out. It's every day you feel condemned for things you've said or done or that have happened to you. For some people, they feel rigged in the game of failure. You go, I feel like I failed and I'm stuck in this failure and I don't know how to move forward. I'm stuck in what didn't work out. I'm stuck in how things didn't go the way that I wanted them to go. I wanna bring you to a story in the Bible that I think helps open this vision up for us. It's 2 Kings chapter two. Elijah was getting ready to leave the earth. It was very interesting. God told the prophet Elijah, this is your last day on earth. You're not gonna die. I'm going to pick you up in a chariot. Like this was heaven's Uber system. So God is sending a chariot of horses from heaven to pick Elijah up, bring him up to heaven and save him for an appointed time at another time in history, which a lot of people believe he's you know, mentioned in the book of Revelation as one of the two prophets that will, by the way, I think we're in the last days. I think Jesus is coming back soon. I really do. We should live as if he's coming back tomorrow, but we should prepare as if he may not come back in our lifetime. And that may not make sense to you. I think we've got to be in a place where we are ready at any moment to meet Jesus. And how do you know you're ready? You repent of your sins. You start living right. You start thinking right. You start putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You stop playing games, having one foot in church, one foot in the world, one foot following Jesus, and one foot following your flesh. This is a year to break up with every bad habit that's been holding you back, keeping you stuck. This is your year for victory. And it starts in here. The battle is between the ears. The battle is between the ears. And so Elijah is getting ready to leave, and he's got this young guy following him. The young guy's named Elisha. And Elisha won't leave him alone. Elijah says, I'm leaving. Elisha says, I'm not leaving you until I see you leave. He says, let me just have my last day by myself. And Elisha says, no, I'm following you until I see you get taken up to heaven. And finally, in verse eight of 2 Kings 2, they, they walk across this river and they come to this place and Elijah turns around in verse nine. He says, what do you want? What do you want from me? What is it that you're asking from me before I leave? And Elisha says, I want the double portion. I want double the miracles, double the impact. I wanna see God do double what he did in your lifetime and my lifetime. Now an insecure leader would punch him in the face and say, how dare you try to go further than me, right? But Elijah wasn't insecure. He was like, okay, what you've asked for, in verse 10, he says, you've asked for a difficult thing. I remember reading this and underlining this in my Bible. I just underlined those words, difficult thing. And then I wrote on the side of my Bible, am I asking God for the difficult things? Am I praying prayers that I could do in my own strength? Am I setting goals that I could accomplish in my own ability? Or am I asking God for the difficult things? Am I asking God to move in our church in a way that only he could do, not human capacity? 
Am I asking God to move in my life in a way that only he could do, or am I settling for a mediocre set of goals, saying, well, I could do this this year, and I've got the networking capacity, and I know enough people, and I got this money in my bank account. I could accomplish this in my own strength. But the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could perceive the things that God has in store. See, he spoke through Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing, and no one has seen it yet, but he's asking us to see what he sees, to see the new thing he wants to do. And Elisha could see it. He was like, I believe there's more for my life. Well, Elijah looks at him, he says, okay, you've asked for a difficult thing, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And I remember underlining those words, if you see, you can be. If you see, it will be. If you see, go back to verse 10, look at those words. If you see, it will be. And I remember thinking throughout scripture when Jesus got ready to do miracles, oftentimes he would say, according to your faith. According to your faith. The message version says, become what you believe. When there were people asking for a miracle, Jesus would turn to them, he would say, if you have the faith to see it. If you believe it can happen, according to your faith, let it be. Become what you believe, he said in Matthew 9, verse 29. What Elijah was saying to Elisha was more than just physical sight. I think he was speaking to his spiritual eyes. Paul the apostle said in Ephesians, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding to see the glorious riches of the kingdom of heaven that have been given to us. God has given us the kingdom, by the way but we have to possess it on the inside before we possess it on the outside. I think God has a promised land for you and for me. When God was preparing Joshua and the Israelites to step into the promised land, in Joshua 6, verse one, God speaks to Joshua, he says, see, I have given you Jericho. Everybody say, see it. So when my dad was seeing this building that you're sitting in before an architect ever drew it, think about this, the iPhone. How many of y'all have a smartphone in the room? Before that smartphone existed in your pocket or in your purse or right now in your hand, that smartphone existed in someone's mind. Maybe it was Steve Jobs or Wozniak, whoever it was. One of those guys was dreaming of a phone that could take pictures, that could hold music, a phone that could do all kinds of cool things. Before there were any social media platforms, these ideas existed in the minds of people. Everything you see here today existed in someone's mind before it came out on the outside. I wonder what God wants to do in the next year, the next 10 years, next 20 years that hasn't happened yet, that's sitting in the minds of you here in this room today. I don't think the world is ready for what the sons and daughters of God are about to reveal in the coming years in America, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the nations of the earth. But it starts in the mind. Starts in the mind. Henry Ford, the man who invented Ford trucks, Ford cars. Interesting story. He had a vision to increase the capacity for people's travel, and he worked with bicycle parts. He had an old shop behind a rental house that him and his wife were renting out. They didn't have much money, but he would work in this old shop behind that rental house. And he began to make something out of bicycle parts that he called the quadricycle. It was a four-wheel transportation thing with a combustion engine. He didn't know what to call it. He just called it the quadricycle. The only problem was when he built it, it was too big to fit through the door of his small little shop. So it was just sitting there for a long time. 
And he was discouraged because he was thinking, I built something that I think could change the world. It started in here, then it went to paper. By the way, it's not enough to just have the vision in your head. You gotta get a vision of victory that you write down. Habakkuk 2 verse one says, write the vision down. Make it plain, Habakkuk 2 verse two. Write the vision out. Research has proven that people who write down their vision, their goals, are 40% more likely to fulfill their goals and vision than those who don't write it down. So Henry Ford had it in here. He wrote it on paper. He drew it up. He built it, but then he was contained. He was stuck inside a small shop, and he was thinking, what can I do? What can I do? Finally, it dawned on him, if I'm going to break out, I have to break through. And to break through, he got a hammer out and he began to bang out the hammer and the na- bang out the nails on the inside of his small little shack and he began to push the walls down. He broke all the walls down in that small little shop and he drove the very first car the world had seen. By 1924, his company, Ford, built 10 million cars. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. The ideas that God has put on the inside of you, oftentimes we gotta break down the walls and the barriers that are holding us back. And it starts on the inside. I remember sitting on the front row in 2000, the end of 2013, going into 2014, and my mom had invited a guest speaker that night to preach. It was a Wednesday night. She had told me the week before, she said, hey, this next year, I really feel like it's the year I'm supposed to pass off the mantle for you to step in to pastor victory. And I said, Mom, I feel, feel really young for this. I'm, I, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. I, I, I wanna do it, but I don't know that I have what it takes yet. I feel like I still struggle. I, I don't fill my dad's shoes, right? His shoes are too big for me to fill. He's a great preacher, great visionary, great pastor. And in my mind, I just didn't feel like I was qualified. By that time, Ash and I, we were having our first child, Liam. And she said, well, I I just want you to get ready. I want you to start talking with other pastors, preparing, because in 2014, you're gonna step into this. And that night, I was sitting on the front row, and a guest preacher came. His name was Miles Monroe. How many of y'all remember Miles Monroe? (laughs) Miles, he he would preach for miles and miles. He He would talk. I mean, he could just unpack the word of God for a solid two and a half hours and nobody would leave. He just commanded authority. He spoke about the kingdom. And I remember him preaching. It was so good. But he said something that was interesting to me. He said, the richest place in the world, the wealthiest place in the world is not Wall Street. You know where I'm going with this. It's not, you know, it's not some person out there who's a billionaire who has all the money. It's not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. It's not at some company. The wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard down the street. Because there in that graveyard lies dreams that were never fulfilled, books that were never written, businesses that were never started, ideas that were never launched. And all of those things went to the graveyard because people were either afraid, they felt unqualified, they settled for the shame game, they stayed stuck in that old shop that they never broke down. He began to unpack why people died with things in their mind and heart that they never did fulfill. And then he told this story, and this really intrigued me. He said, there was once a little lion cub that was born to the king of the jungle and his wife. He's telling this story. He says, you know, these two great lions in Africa, they had a baby cub. And somewhere in the middle of his birth and 
His young years, he got lost from his parents, wandering through the jungle, and he ended up getting swept down a river, and then he ended up on the other side of that river in a pasture where a shepherd found him that was watching his sheep. That shepherd found that little lion cub and took him in and began to take care of him. He had a lot of wounds. He had a lot of scars, and this shepherd began to care for this little lion cub. I want the band to come out because this is where I want to bring it to right here. As the shepherd was caring for this little lion cub, the lion cub would follow wherever the sheep went, would do whatever the sheep did. So as the sheep would go, bah, the lion would go, bah. the lion started talking just like the sheep, started acting like the sheep, walking like the sheep. And he grew up and he became a, a full grown lion. But he was walking right next to the sheep, eating the grass that the sheep ate. You know, he wasn't a carnivore. He was eating whatever the sheep ate. But something was Something was on his mind, Miles was saying. He said one day he would go to this river and he looked in the river and he saw a reflection that looked totally different than the sheep that he was around. And he thought, who is that? And he got closer and he touched the water with his paw and realized it was a reflection of himself. And and he started going back to this river to see who he was. And one day as he was going back to the river to see who he was, he hears this roar across the other side of the river. And he looks across the other side, and there's this huge lion like Mufasa. Say it again. Mufasa. And he looks at that lion, and he looks in the river, and he sees that he looks similar to that lion. He looks back at the sheep that he's been hanging out with. And that lion roars like an invitation to the wild. And that young cub that had been raised by the shepherd and the sheep, he tries to roar back. He goes, (laughs) and the other lion just walked away. (laughs) Like, you're not ready for this. And this happened. Week after week, this lion would come back to the river, and that lion would roar, and he would try to roar back. (laughs) And then one day, This young lion had been working on his roar and he was squeaking and he was trying to figure out his voice and he was trying to figure out how to get that sound that he knew was deep down inside him. I think the mind is like an onion. It's layers and layers and layers. There was a movie that came out several years ago called Inception and it was basically the idea that thoughts are like a virus and they go deep down into the soul of a man. And there's layers of the dream world and the thought world And there's layers of pain that people have stacked on top of dreams and goals and ideas and a voice. Sometimes it's because you walk through pain when you were six years old or 10 years old or you were rejected by a group of friends when you were 13. Or maybe you were told, you can't do that. You're not qualified for that. You're not good enough for that. You come from the wrong family. Your family's got too much dysfunctions. You got too many problems. You're messed up. And these layers of lies and labels and lids and limitations and it's somewhere deep down in there is a voice somewhere deep down in there is a potential that God sees and he begins peeling back all those layers and this little lion that had grown up he knew somewhere deep down in there was a voice he kept coming back to that river because he knew there was a calling on his life till finally that one day That lion on the other side of the river roared. And that young lion that had been, (laughs) 
he began to he was still finding it but it was there somebody say that it's there it's there there's more inside you than you realize there's more potential inside you God sees more in you finally that lion begins to roar again And he looks back at the shepherd that had helped him and raised him and took care of him through all of his wounds. He looks back at the sheep just to see if he has permission to go into the wild. And the shepherd nods. And that young lion crosses over to meet up with his father. And I remember when Miles Monroe was sharing that and he said, there's a lion inside of all of you the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's a courage you haven't tapped into yet. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee, though no one pursues them. For God has not given you a spirit of intimidation, but power, love, and a sound mind. And when you begin to see what God sees on the inside you, when we begin to believe there is victory for my life, I can walk in victory, I can talk in victory, I can begin to see victory over habits in my life, I can begin to develop self-discipline, I can start stepping into my best days, Yeah, I can start walking in joy, I can get my mind back, I can get my laughter back, I can get my marriage back, I can get my dreams back. It's time to dust off some goals, some dreams that have been sitting on this shelf deep down in that dream world somewhere you forgot you have a calling on your life you have a voice inside you there's a lion inside you miles monroe looked at me on the front row he said young man there's a lion in you and i stood up on that front row and i went and he said okay you're still finding it but it's inside you i want you to stand your feet all over this place God has so much more in store in 2024 that he wants to do in you, through you, for you, for his glory. God wants you to walk in victory on the inside so you can walk in victory on the outside. God wants you to begin to possess the dreams and the promised land he has for you. Friends, let me tell you something real quick before we end. In 2014, I began to write this book. And I wrote down a goal in 2014. I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna finish it, I'm gonna release it, publish it. And 2014 came and it didn't happen. And then I wrote down that same goal in 2015, January. I'm gonna write a book, it's gonna be about winning in the mind, the master key that God's given me to victory. And I began to write all these thoughts. 2015 came down, it didn't happen. Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says, write the vision down. But Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, there is an appointed time for the dream, the vision, the goal that God's put inside you. My dad wrote the vision for this building down in 1983, but he didn't see it come to pass till 2007, March 4th. Sometimes you wait for a long time for a dream to come to pass. And Habakkuk says, though it tarries, though it lingers, though it takes longer than you expected to have kids, to get married, though it takes longer than you expected to launch that dream, to launch that ministry, to write that book, to get published by a publisher, though it lingers, the promise you've been waiting for, the victory over that bad habit, that prodigal husband, that prodigal son coming back, though it lingers, do not give up, do not lose heart, do not forget. Every year I wrote down, I'm gonna write this book every year until last year, Finally, I got a publisher who called me and said, we're ready to help publish your book. And in 2024, it's finally coming out. Ten years after 
But I say this to say, don't give up on the dream God's put inside you. Don't give up on the vision God's put inside you. Just close your eyes right now all over this place. I hear the Lord saying, I'm bringing you to a field, much like Paul's dad brought his kids out to a field, and God is saying, what do you see? What do you see? And I hear the Lord saying, I see a mighty man of God. I see a mighty woman of God. I see a woman who's conquering fear and anxiety. I see a woman who's walking with a sound mind this year. I see a woman who knows who she is in Christ, and she's fulfilling the dreams and the goals God put inside her. I see a mighty man of God who's walking in victory in his thoughts, walking in victory over his emotions, who's seeing victory in his physical life, who's healthy, who wakes up every morning and when his feet touch the ground the devil trembles in hell and says oh god the mighty man woke up today and he's about to kick tail for the kingdom of heaven i see the lord bringing you out to a field and he's saying this year is your year to see victory in every area of your life you're going to see financial victory you're going to see relational victory you're going to see restoration in your mind your heart in the areas where you felt like the devil stole some things from you but you've got to see it in here before you see it out there. I just hear the Lord saying, see it, my friend. See it on the inside. This is your year. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you want this year to be a year of victory in specific areas in your life, areas where you've been praying, dreaming, you've been writing down goals, and maybe you haven't written it down today, but yet you haven't written it down yet. But today God was convicting you saying, get that down on paper, write that down, write those goals down. But if you want this year to be a year where you see victory in specific areas you've been praying for, you're ready to start walking in full victory in those areas. I want you to raise your hand all over this room. Yeah, from the front to the back. Maybe here today and you say, I, I need this year to be a year of restoration. I need this year to be a breakout year, a breakthrough year. I want God to do something fresh. I want him to increase me in ways that I can be a blessing to my family, to my community. There's some dreams I, I'm believing God's gonna help me fulfill this year. Just raise your hand if that's you today. If you raised your hand or you know you need to bring it to the altar, victory starts with surrender. I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. And we're going to surrender 2024 to God to say, God, I'm trusting you to see the victory this year in each and every area that I've been contending for, that I've been praying for, that I've been battling for, that I've been writing down. The vision is for an appointed time. Who's to know that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? What if 2024? was the year that you saw more fruit produced in your life spiritually? What if this was the year you begin to see a double portion of God's increase, God's, God's impact in your life, through your life? Let's just bring it to the Lord today. Let's worship Him. Let's surrender all over this place. Lord, we love you. God, we love
how I fight my battles, and this is how I fight my battles, and this is how, and this is how I fight my battles, and this is how I fight my battles, and this is how I fight my battles, and this is how. There's a lion on the inside of you. There's a roar that God wants you to walk in. There's an authority that God wants you to step into. Lord, I just speak courage in this room. Lord, I thank you, God. Just This would be a year, Lord, that the church roars. A sound of victory. More increase. More influence. More impact. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how He's turning things around in your favor. He's turning things around. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the Thank you. This is a year of health. This is a year, God, of health on the inside. I pray, Lord, for healing, healing bodies, healing hearts, healing minds, healing relationships. someone needs to hear this morning there was a little boy that was fishing out in this pond and this older man was watching him from a distance and the boy was fishing all day hadn't caught anything when all of a sudden he gets something on the line he's working really hard he begins to reel down pull up reel down and 10 minutes he's fighting this thing finally reels it in it's this massive bass the old man was so excited for him he walks over and right as 
the boy was holding it. He just throws it back into the pond. And the boy had a bucket and the older man said, why did you just do that? Why didn't you bring it home? The little boy said, well, my frying pan is only nine inches at the house. And when I heard that story, I just started thinking about how many people don't have the capacity to believe that God has greater things for them. When God is bringing things into your life, he's bringing opportunities, he's bringing dreams, he's speaking goals, he's whispering things. Even during the sermon, I felt like the Holy Spirit was stirring something up in some of you today. He was getting you to just extend your faith for something difficult, something bigger. But to handle it, you gotta increase your mindset to believe that God is an abundant God. He's in Ephesians 3.20. When Abraham was asking God for a child, he, he just was asking for one. But God said, Abraham, look at the sky. Count the stars if you can. So shall your descendants be. In other words, he says, I've got more than you can imagine that I wanna do in you, through you, and for your family. And Abraham didn't think it was possible. His wife laughed. But when God gave them Isaac, the promised son, the promised child, that through Isaac would come Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, and God had so much bigger plans. And I just think God has something greater than you can imagine. What you have limited in your mind, God says, take the limits off this year. Take the limits off this year. Take the lies of the devil off your mind this year. You are a child of God. You are an heir to the promises that he made to Abraham. And you are part of that tribe. God, I thank you, Lord, this would be a year we begin to walk in the promises of God. Walk in the promises that you gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the children of God. Lord, I pray that we would begin to expect greater things that you want to do in us and through us. Lord, where we have settled in areas in our mind, our, our heart, our life, our body, God, our mental, emotional state, that this year would be a year we stretch our faith to say, Lord, I'm, I'm contending for a greater year of victory in these areas of my life. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave. And I make you my Lord and Savior. Have your way in my life. Renew my mind. Help me to see the victory that you want me to walk in. And this year will be my best year yet. And I will see the victory because Jesus lives in me. All right, before we end today, I want us to shout the name of Jesus over 2024. We did this in the 9 a.m. because the sound system went out and we had, to, we had to make a shout. We had to get louder because the enemy was trying to stop the sound. But I want the 11 a.m. to make the loudest shout of the name of Jesus on the count of three. And here's what we're believing for. We're gonna speak the name of Jesus over every problem, over every battle, every circumstance, every goal, every dream, everything that you've been believing for this year, that you would declare Jesus is Lord of your life, Jesus is Lord of your past, your present, and your future. When Joshua told the Israelites to shout on the seventh day after the seventh walk around Jericho, he said, our shout is gonna bring walls down. Why would it bring walls down? Because there was a power in the shout. There's power in the name of Jesus. So Lord, on the count of three, we're gonna speak that name. One, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Two, get ready for your best year yet. Three, let's 